0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter number 18. Genesis chapter number 18. And I want to preach a holiday message to you out of Genesis chapter 18. I believe we can do that uh, if we look a little carefully at the Word of God here. Genesis chapter number 18. And uh, in this passage of Scripture, the Lord comes by and visits Abraham in his tent in the plains of Mamre. And uh, I believe we have here an important truth that if God will enable us in the preaching of His Word, uh, I believe can greatly draw us unto Him, affect us, change us for His glory. Genesis chapter 18, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Genesis chapter 18, verse number 1 says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant." And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them. And He stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You and thank You for this opportunity to be in Your house, this privilege to be in Your house, and this responsibility, Lord, now that we are here, that we might submit our hearts and our our listening ears unto Your Word, that You, Father, might be able to do a work in us. We know that it is possible, Lord, to walk away from here unchanged, unchallenged, Lord, unstirred. But our desire, I believe, Uh, is that we, Lord, might be dealt with from heaven by the Lord, by Your Word, that You might change us and challenge us, stir us and make us more into the image of Christ. Lord, again, we love You and thank You for this time. Thank You for the hearts of gratitude expressed by Your people this morning. It encouraged me, it edified me, it comforted me. And I pray, Father, that You'd bless them for their boldness in testifying. And I pray that you give us many more things, Lord. Not that we might have things, but that we might look towards heaven and give You praise and give You honor and give You glory for Your goodness in our lives. Bless the preaching of Thy Word, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it is, of course, the holiday season. Uh, I've made no secret about my feelings about the holidays. I'm not really a Christmas person. If you are, that's fine. I'm not really a Christmas person. It's not for any scriptural reason or anything. Uh, I just, I'm, Christmas just is not my season. I'm a Thanksgiving person. Amen? Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I love eating a lot of food. Somebody say amen to that. I love naps on the couch, turkey-fueled naps on the couch. Somebody say amen to that. I like football, amen. I enjoy uh, family. I enjoy everything about the Thanksgiving season. Uh, but really, this entire time of the year, November, December, it is a time for families to gather together. It is a time, I hope, in the hearts and minds of God's people to give Him gratitude, praise, to remember His goodness and grace in our lives. But well, one of the things that you have to have in order to have a good holiday season is a lot of hospitality. Uh, Mom, of course, is having her uh, you know, knee replaced, and that's put her out of commission. And so we've sort of busted up and divvied up the, the holidays amongst us kids, and uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving up at Brother Kerry's house, and uh, we're, we'll have Christmas at my house. And uh, it is a whole procedure. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's a whole process... It's a whole undertaking, just getting your house ready to have a holiday there. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you've got to go through, you've got to get cobwebs, you've got to clean stuff up, stuff that's just become a part of the landscape you've got to pick up and put away. And, and it's a whole process, it's a whole procedure, getting the house in order, getting everything just right, fooling everyone into thinking that that's the way you live. Amen? And uh, it's a whole endeavor, getting everything in order so that you can have family over and, and have your family. But that's what we call hospitality. We go out of our way. We do that extra work, that extra labor, so that we're able to welcome people into our homes, to host them in our homes, to enjoy their company, and them enjoy ours. How many of you would have a heart attack if uh, you fell asleep today and woke up on December 25th and found out that your whole family was coming in that night to have Christmas in your house? You'd probably fall all to pieces. Why? Right? You'd say, well, I'm not ready. There's no way I can do it. We don't have everything clean. I don't have anything fixed to eat. We don't have anything in order. The tree isn't even up yet. That's not true. Some of y'all had your trees up in June. Amen? But But you'd say, well, you know, there's no way we can get it all together. Let me ask you this question. What would happen if the Lord showed up in your house in the same fashion that I just described? You see, the reality is that very instance, that very incident takes place in the home, heart, and life of Abraham that I just described taking place in your life or mine. Abraham's sitting here in his tent door, and then all of a sudden, guess what? God just drops in on him. And he does something very fascinating. And this is what I want to preach to you this morning about. Uh, Abraham exhibits what I'm going to call holy hospitality. You'd probably be tempted if your family dropped in on you like that and say, look, I'm sorry, let's go to Shoney's, I'll buy you dinner. Let's go see a a movie or Christmas show. But I can't let you in, nothing's ready, nothing's prepared. But the ideal thing and what we see in the life of Abraham is when God wants to show up in his home, in his heart, in his life, Abraham flings the door wide open and says, come on in, God, you're welcome any time. You know, in preaching through the Christmas stories and Christmas truths, we will very often focus on that innkeeper uh, in the book of Luke and talk about how when the Lord came by His door, He said there was no room in the inn. But the reality is many of us take the same attitude towards our Savior that He took instead of the attitude that Abraham had. Many of us, God desires to have a greater place, a larger place in our lives, in our hearts, and in our homes. But we've shown ourselves unhospitable to God. Can I tell you the greatest thing that could happen to you as a child of God this Christmas season is for God to get in your life, your heart, your home in a greater way? Now, I understand when we got born again, God took up residence in our life. The Holy Ghost indwells us. But I'm talking about making our home a home centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about giving more of our life to Him and and allowing Him to to dwell in our lives in a more permeating way. I I guess what I'm saying is we ought to this holiday season just throw the door wide open to God, quit with the excuses, quit with the reasons, quit with the hesitations, quit with the the inhibit and just say, God... Here is my whole life. I want you to have every room in, in the house of my heart. And I want you to have every bit of me. There's no area of my life. There's no sin I'm going to protect. There's no excuses that I'm going to shelter. There's, there's no half measures that I'm going to indulge in. Lord, I'm just going to give myself entirely to You. And I'm going to live for You. And I'm going to give my, my whole life unto You. And I'm going to allow You to have all of me. I think that's what we see pictured here in the life of Abraham. Now, I want you to notice a few things, and I think some of them may ring very, very familiar to you when you think about what's happening from a human perspective. And I have three basic thoughts I want to give you. I want you to notice, first off, the reception for welcoming him in. Can I say, and I don't have an introduction, but let me just make this statement by way of introduction, the Lord wants to be in your home. He wants to be in your life. He stands, He's pictured in the book of Revelation chapter number 3 concerning the church as standing outside because He's not been allowed in. And He is knocking at the door and imploring people to open the door. I think God wants as much of our lives as He can possibly get. And no matter how much of your life that you have yielded unto Him and no matter to what degree that you are serving Him, I believe there is always a greater sense and a greater way and a greater measure in which God desires to have our lives and in which we can give Him our lives. In other words, there's not a one of us here today that this message doesn't apply to. Every one of us, God wants more of our lives and we ought to give it to Him. But here's the question. What is it going to take? How do we go about it? What do we need to do to make sure God has every bit of our lives that we are fully devoted to Him? Well, notice first off the reception welcoming him in. The Bible says in verse 1 that the Lord appeared unto him, unto Abraham, in the plains of Mamre. Now where was Abraham? He sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, this is not uncommon in this part of the world and especially this time men dwelling in tents. It was not uncommon. It got so hot that they would have to do their work early, early in the morning and then in the hottest part of the day it would be pushing the upper 90s a 100 degrees. They could not work in that environment. It was too dangerous. So they would go and they would Sit in the tent door. A lot like some of y'all might sit on your front porch, or if you got a screened-in porch, just sit out there and enjoy the day, but sit under the shade and try to shield and protect yourself from the heat of the day. That's what Abraham was doing. He was sitting in the tent door. But now notice what he does. Verse 2, he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. Now it's evident that when it says they stood by him, it didn't, didn't mean right by him. But it means that all of a sudden he's sitting there. He's, I don't know, he's playing Candy Crush on his phone, or I don't know what he's doing. But, but he looks up, and then all of a sudden he sees fairly close by, there's three men standing there. What does he do? I'll tell you what I would have done. I'm ashamed to say it, but I would have said, Hey, y'all, where are y'all standing out there? Why don't you come and get under the uh, door of the tent? I would have probably said, Hey, I got a little iced tea here. Why don't y'all get out of that heat and come and enjoy yourself here at the tent door? I would have made them come to me. But that's not what Abraham does. Look what your Bible says, verse 2. The Bible says, And when he saw them, he ran to meet them. And notice these four words from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Let me say number one this morning that in this reception for welcoming God into our lives, the first thing that we're going to have to do is what Abraham did here. He inconvenienced himself in order to have the Lord's presence in a greater way. It would have been far more comfortable, far easier for him to stay up under that tent door. That tent door was a refuge. It was a shelter. Could we say it this way? It was his comfortable place. Some of you all have in your house a particular recliner or a particular chair, and that's your spot. And if they were to take 3D imaging, and if they were to topographically map the seat of that that recliner, it would so perfectly contour to your backside that it couldn't belong to anybody but you. Now that's your spot. You don't like to move from your spot. Amen? Let me tell you something. We do the same thing spiritually. We waller ourselves into a comfortable place where we are familiar with everything, where we are comfortable performing the service and task that we believe God expects of us, where the relationships that we have around us in our life are such that we are comfortable with the exchange emotionally that transpires there. We get comfortable where we're at. I'll tell you something, if you want God to be in a greater way in your life, you're going to have to be willing to get uncomfortable. You're going to be, have to be willing to get inconvenient. You're going to have to recognize that it might take dislodging you from your place of comfort for God to do more in your lives. Amen. I'll tell you this, it might be pretty comfortable sitting in that recliner, but you sure ain't going to get nothing done around the house by sitting there. Uh, you're sure not going to get anything accomplished. In fact, you know what's going to happen if you just sit in that recliner? Nothing. The same thing that has happened will happen. Nothing will change because you're not moving, you're not active, you're not changing things, you're not working on things, you're not performing tasks and performing activities. The reality is this, the same thing is true spiritually. Don't expect anything spiritually to change in your life if you're not willing to spiritually change. Don't expect anything to happen in your life if you're not willing to be inconvenienced. He runs out from the comfort of the tent door, throws himself at the feet of these three men in the the oppressive heat of the day. But it doesn't matter because he knows if they're going to get in the house... That's the only way He's going to get them there. Let me tell you something. If God's going to get in the home of your life, if God's going to get into the home of your family life, if God's going to get into the home of our church life, we're going to have to be willing to leave the comfort of the tent door and get out in the heat of the day and say, God, I'll go wherever You want me to go. I'll do whatever You want me to do, but I need more of You in my life. He inconvenienced Himself. Not only that, look at verse 3. The Bible says that Abraham made this statement. He said, My Lord... If now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away. I pray thee from thy servant. Not only did he inconvenience himself, but he entreated the sojourners. Uh, Let me say it this way He asked them to come in. He asked them to come in. Uh, There's an interesting thing that we do with prayer. We recognize certain fundamental truths about God and His omniscience. God knows all things. God knows how much of, of, of you that or how much of Him that you want in your life. God knows what needs that you have in your life. In fact, Christ went out of His way to say that your Father in heaven knoweth what you have need of before you even ask. But I fear that sometimes we allow that to lull us to a place of complacency about our prayer life. And we say, well, why even pray about it? God knows all about it. Me, how many times do you hear people, and I myself, in fact, I said it this morning in taking prayer requests about a prayer request of my own. I requested prayer in front of the Sunday school class and I says, God knows all about it. You ever say that? That's true. But is that our attitude as it relates to our prayer life with Him? I understand there may be sensitive matters that we don't want to disclose to just everybody, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But is our attitude about prayer, well, there's no use in praying because God already knows all about it. Let me tell you something. If that was a reason to not pray, wouldn't nobody ever pray? Because God knows everything about everyone, about every moment in time. But the Lord invoked us to prayer. The Bible commands us to pray. Uh, The saints of old gave us examples and patterns of prayer. Prayer is the means of God's providence. Prayer moves the wheels of God's power and the uh, movement of His hand is directly connected to the prayers of His people. I'm saying this, if we want God to be in our life, we can't just say, well, the Lord knows I want more of Him, so He'll show up if He wants. We We have to ask, we have to pray. We have to seek the Lord. Lord, I need You in my life. Lord, I need victory over this thing that I'm dealing with. Lord, I I need you to master my temperament, Lord. I I need you to uh, derive more and draw more glory for thyself out of my life. I'm saying this, we gotta ask Him for it. We want it, that's a great, that's one of the best prayer requests that you can ever give. It's one of the best prayers you can ever pray. Lord, take more of me unto thyself and give more of thee unto me. He entreated Him, He said, don't pass away. You're welcome here. You're wanted here. In fact, I'm begging you to be here. We need to make it the prayer of our life, of our spirit, and of our heart and mind. God, I need more of you. Some of us don't have more because we don't think we need more. Some of us have just as much of God as we want. We're ashamed to admit it, but that's the truth of it. Uh, Some of us, we've got just as much of church as we want. We've got just as much of a a, a Bible reading as we want. Just as much of a prayer life as we want. And we're terrified to death that God's going to show up and disrupt our comfortable position. But if we want God to have a greater place in our lives, we've got to entreat Him. Not only that, I like this, man. Look at verse number 4. Listen to what Abraham said. He didn't say... Come on in the house and fix me something to eat. That's our attitude about God. God, come into my life and fix my problems. That's really why most of us, why we want Him there. We don't want Him there because we love Him. We want Him there because we love what He can do for us. And Abraham, if he had been like most of us, he would have said, well, come on in the house and start fixing a meal. But that's not what Abraham says. He says, come in and and here's what's going to happen. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. As in not by them, by somebody else. Wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree. He says, I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. Here's what, what Abraham said to him. He said, You come in and we'll make it all about you. You come in, we'll get you a little water so you can clean your feet. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to cook anything. You don't have to clean anything. You just go rest yourselves under the tree. And while you're resting, here's what I'll do. I'll go and I'll fix something to eat. I'll go and I'll slaughter a cow. I'll go and we'll make morsels of bread. I'll go and I'll get butter and I'll get milk and I'll bring it to you. And all you have to do is just sit here and enjoy this meal and rest yourselves. You know what He did? Let me say it this way. He enshrined the strangers. He didn't say, come on in. Come on in. And make it all about me. He said, come on in and let me make it all about you. Let me tell you something. Everything God does, He does for His own glory. And you say, well, preacher, don't He do anything for me? Oh, listen, God's glory is for your good. But the primary motivation is always God's glory. He's not doing it just so that you can have a a bigger TV or a nicer car or a a better wardrobe or a nicer home. He's doing it. This is what I was talking about with Brother Chuck. Man, I I love that testimony. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the means to give. Not just, Lord, thank you for giving to me, but thank you, Lord, for letting me give to you. It's all about Him getting glory. If we want God to have a, a, a greater prominence in our life, you know what we have to do? We have to make it all about Him. I think one of the things that I detest about the Christmas season is the commercialism of it. It's become about everything except Jesus. And, and listen, a lot of it, you, you get to decide this is the great uh, thing about, about, you, you know, your home and your family. You get to make it as much about Jesus as you want to. And the world can't take that away, and Hallmark can't take that away. But, but I do, it's just, it's just sort of unpalatable. It's unpleasant to me that they've just tried to surgically remove the Lord Jesus from everything about the Christmas season and, and retain the Christmas season, which is just illogical. It, it's blasphemous. It's abhorrent. It's everything else. But, you know, Christmas really, it should be a joyous time. And it is for a lot of people, and I praise the Lord for that. But here's the thing. Here's what Christmas is about. He's the reason for the season. It's all about Him. Here, here's, here's what's wrong with a lot of churches. They've quit being about Him. Here's what's wrong with a lot of believers. They've quit being about Him. They're about all sorts of things. They're about their clubs and their preferences and their politics. But they're not about Him. Why do we feel so empty in life? It's because we've quit being about Him. And in Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. In Him, we have our being. We live and move and have our being. If we're Listen, if we're not making it all about Him, it ain't going to be about anything. That's worthwhile. You know why they came in? Because Abraham made it all about them. He said, this isn't about me. This is all about you. Come in and let me treat you to a wonderful time of respite and comfort. And and, and let me just fix you a meal. Let me just make it all. You know what I think would be the greatest thing in our churches? If we get back to making it all about Him. I just kind of think, you know, most people, if you have a party for Him, they got the decency to show up. I kind of think if we made it all about Jesus, He just might show up. I, I, and you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying church is a party. You can't go to church here and think church is fun. Amen. But 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 I what that was a. Little, but what I'm saying is, if we'll make this thing all about the Lord, I believe He will have a greater place, a bigger place, a place of prominence in our church, over and above what He has heretofore had. And I think that's true of our lives as well. Listen, you want your home to be a Christian home? Put Christ at the center of it. Put him at the center. I can't promise every outcome. I can't say you won't have heartaches and troubles. But I can promise you this. That whatever transpires, he'll be at the heart of everything. And he'll be, he'll be the one in control of everything. And he'll be there to meet the needs of everything. They enshrined the stranger. So we see the reception for welcoming him. in before they ever get in the house, this is how he got God in his house is he left the tent door, he fell at his feet, he begged him to come into the house, and he said, if you'll come in, I'll make everything about you. That's how he got him in the house. But what happened once he got him in the house? You see, the truth of the matter is this, I like the inviting people over to the house. I like the having people over the house. I love how people, you know, they feel they feel blessed, they feel honored. I don't know, they might feel inconvenienced. But when you say, hey, come over to the house, we want to have you over sometime. And I love the having people there. I, I do. I mean, I, I love the I love having people around the table and eating a good meal, man, sitting around until way too late talking and goofing off and, and just enjoying each other's company and fellowship. It's that in-between part that I find tough. That part where you got to clean the bathroom, scrub the toilets, cook a meal, vacuum the floors. That's the part I don't like. If I could find a way to skip over that, man, I'd be hospitable all the time. You see, here's the thing. If you're going to be hospitable, there's some requirements. It takes some things in order to open your home to someone. And this is true about our lives in the Lord Jesus as well. It takes some things. It takes some work. It takes some dedication. It takes some inconvenience if we're going to allow the Lord into our lives. I notice a few things. One, I want you to notice this. It takes submission. Look at verse number 6. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. Now, how many of you are familiar with this passage? Let me just go ahead and ask you this. How many of you kind of know where we're at, kind of know the story? If you do, then you know that in a few moments, God is going to reconfirm the promise of Isaac's birth to Abraham and Sarah. And when He does that, Sarah is listening at the tent door. And Sarah laughs. Now, it's apparent by this time that this is God. I mean, she knows who this is. I, somebody, sh- I mean, God said to them in the verses prior to Sarah's laughing, said, I'm gonna revisit you at the time of life. You're gonna have another child. Before this chapter is done, you know, Abraham calls this, this angel, this, this stranger that appears at the door, calls him the judge of all the earth. I think they knew basically immediately that this was God. And when God makes that promise to Sarah, you know what she does? She scoffs. She snickers. She laughs. Now let me ask you this. Wonder what got her in such a bad mood in the first place? Some folks don't need no reason to be in a bad mood. But wonder what got her in a bad mood. I would like to think that if God showed up at my house and ate a meal with me and, and, and was making me promises that were life-changing of eternal importance, I, I would think I would be gracious. But Sarah, on the other hand, she, she scoffs. She laughs. Man, she's in a bad spirit. She's in a bad attitude. How did that happen? I think the answer is in verse 6. Look what the Bible says. Abraham hastened into the tent. Now, don't skip over any word in your King James Bible. Hastened into the tent. Hurried, ran in, busted the door in. Hastened into the tent unto Sarah. And say, make ready quickly. Three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man. He hastened to dress it. Now, I'll admit to you, sometimes I think there's things that The Bible just does not record for us. There are events, undoubtedly, conversations that transpire. And the Bible just gives us the high point of that. But if I read my Bible literally there, and I think that's what we ought to do, amen? If I read it literally, this is how things look. He runs in, busts the door open, says, Hey, go make some cakes, hurry, and runs out the door. Meanwhile, she's sitting there scrubbing her cast iron going, what? Make some what? What kind of ca- do, icing? Cakes? What What do you mean? You can imagine as she goes to the tent door and opens it up and looks out and says, oh, God has showed up. And then I would imagine her flesh probably said this. A little head notice would have been Nice i got to throw together a pan of cornbread, and I I, have—I didn't know God was coming over. And I'm sure there's a part of her that would have loved to meet Abraham when he was coming back from that field with that calf thrown over his shoulder and say, Nuh-uh, son. This is not how we're going to do this. You go tell them it is a bad time, that they need to call and make an appointment, that they need to schedule something, and that they need to bring a dessert, else this is not going to happen. That's right. He said. She said, I didn't even see a casserole dish in their hands. They just show up here and expect me to feed them. I'll tell you this. Most women would tell you they hate nothing more than for company to show up unannounced, unplanned for, and for them to have to scramble all of a sudden to get their house and to get their meal and get everything in order. You know what Sarah would have done if she'd been like most of us? She would have said, no, thank you, God. You're going to show up on my terms or you're not going to show up at all. Instead, can I say it to her credit? You know what Sarah does? She says, yes, sir. Goes into the kitchen. Gets to work. Probably every part of her, probably every every ounce of flesh in her wanted to say no. But she said, if we want God here, we have to take Him on His terms. If we want God here, we need, we, we need to serve Him, minister to Him. And so she just swallowed her pride, bit her cheek, and said, yes, sir. She submitted to the wishes of her husband. She submitted to the will of God. She submitted to the context and the matter at hand. And she said, okay. You know what it's going to take for God to take a greater part in our You know what it's going to take for God to be in our home and our life? It's going to take some submission. There's going to be times God shows up unannounced. There's going to be times God commands you to do things you didn't ask for, you didn't sign up for, you didn't plan for. There's going to be times that the will of God is going to thrust things upon you that you never prayed for and that you don't think are fair. And if you want God to have a greater part in your life, you've got to learn how to swallow your pride, bite your cheek, look towards heaven and say, yes sir, Lord. Yes sir. One of the things, and I've not talked a lot about this and I expect I probably will just because it's a part of my life, but uh, you know, in, in losing my father-in-law, we we went through one of the things we asked him to do uh, whenever he got sick was to sit down and make videos of himself for the boys. Uh, my boys are still little. I mean, Lawrence is six now, but I, I'm not my grandmother. My mom's mom died when I was seven. And I have some memories, but not very much. And I thought it'd be really good if they just had a video of their, of their pap-pap talking to them. And so we sat down and and watch the videos and let the boys watch the videos. Of course, Schofield's too little to really know. Lawrence does. But we watch the videos, and one of the things that I was struck by that my father-in-law said, and I I can hear him say it, he said it so often. As he was talking, he said, I hope that you're watching this video when you are a young man and an adult. But he said, but if that's not the case, and if you're reading it sooner than that, that's okay. Because we are committed unto God. Whatever happens in this, we'll just, and this is what he said, we'll receive it at the hand of God. I can hear him say that about almost everything in life, that phrase. We'll receive it at the hand of God. You know, sometimes the will of God leads us to places and takes us to things that we would have never asked for, that we don't want, that no part of us takes pleasure in. And when those times come, we just have to receive it at the hand of God knowing that the hand of the one that bestows it to us is perfect, is providential, is loving, is caring, is infinite in His wisdom and infinite in His love for us. Sometimes, if you want God to have a greater partner, it's going to take some submission. Not only submission, but I like what Abraham does. He runs out and the Bible says that he fetched a calf. By the way, that fetch, that's a good King James Bible word. Amen? That's why Southerners say it so much. Amen? Uh, fetched a calf. And then the Bible says tender Good. He went out, and he didn't. He didn't drag some sickly cow in. He didn't go get a goat. He he, he didn't go out. He didn't go out hunting and go go kill some wild. And he didn't bring a chicken. He went out and he got the most valuable, the most prized, the most precious possession he had. And he took it to a young man, and he said, "Kill it and dress it quickly." You know what I love about that? Because, again, I, I'm playing the image in my mind. And, and Abraham, he busts through the door, looks at Sarah, says, All right, woman, make some cornbread. God showed up. He turns around and runs out. And, and he goes and he grabs the cow. And he, the Bible says he ran to meet him. He, he takes the cow and he runs. And he throws that thing at that young man and says, Hurry up and kill it and dress it and get it ready for God. Like it was nothing. You know why he treated it like that? Because it was God. That may have been the priciest, most beautiful most precious, tastiest cow that he owned. But man, compared to God, what was that? It didn't matter. He took his most precious possession, threw it at the feet of that young man, and said, it doesn't matter. Get it ready. We're giving it to God. It took sacrifice. Not the sacrifice of his worst, but the sacrifice of his best. You know, for God to have a greater place in our life, you know what we have to do? By the way, later on, guess what he would do? He would take his only son, And he'd put him on an altar. The Bible says, Isaac, thine only son. By the way, he had another son, but not in Abraham's heart he didn't. He said, Isaac, thy son whom thou lovest. And he laid it on an altar. You know, he probably would have never been ready to put Isaac on the altar if he hadn't put that calf on the altar first. You see, God starts us out with little things and builds us incrementally. But to Abraham at that moment, it was the most prized possession he had. He said, God, it's yours if you want it. You know, I believe this. Maybe it's a speculation. I hope it's sanctified speculation if it is. But I think probably if God, if Abraham had told God, I'm going to go and I'm going to cook you the best calf I had. And if God had said, you know, I had cow yesterday. You got any fish? Abraham would have probably said, let me get my my rod and pole and line and reel. And I'll go catch you one. You see, he would have given him anything that he wanted. He would have given him anything that he wanted. But it began by giving God the absolute best that he had. Here's what I guess I'm trying to get at. Whatever is most precious in your life, give it to God. He may not want to consume it. But submission begins when we give our best to God. Later on, Abraham gives him his son. God says, I don't want him because I'm going to give my son. But you know what Abraham had to do before he could ever get to that point? He had to give his absolute best and take sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. And then I like what happens. He, he, the Bible says he gets all this together. And he brings it and he sets it before the men. And then you know what the Bible says? He served them. Now... I understand we, we oftentimes we think of, of being hospitable and welcoming people into our home, and we expect that we're going to serve them. But the serving that's taking place here is not like how you and, and me might serve. If we were serving, we would set everything at the table, then we'd pull up a chair and we'd sit down uh, right beside everybody, and we'd pass the potatoes, we'd ask the blessing, and we would commence in enjoying the fellowship. But that's not what happens here. Abraham sets everything up, and then he steps away, and he stands over to the side. You see, here's what I'm saying. He didn't just serve. He assumed the position of a servant. This is one of the wealthiest, most powerful men in the Orient. He has literally, years prior to this, he had army enough to defeat a confederate army of five different nations. He's not a servant. He's a lord over all these men. But when God shows up, He's the servant. He's the busboy. When God shows up, he he sticks a dish rag right in his apron, stands over to the side, and says, "Just let me know if there's anything I can do for you, fellas. Y'all just sit and eat." This is more of him making it about them than about him. But let me also say this: if we want God to have a greater place in our life, we have to assume the position of a servant. Lord, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. My job is not to be master. My job is to be minister. My job is not to be sovereign over all, but to be servant of all. And Lord, the whole reason I live, He wasn't just sitting around the table. He assumed the position. He didn't sit down to eat. He said, I am not uh, uh, worthy to sit at the table with you. Let me stand over here to the side, and I'll just be here solely and completely to serve you. That's who I am today. I may be the master of all this land before you. It may have been given me by divine title deed, but today, when God's here, I'm just the servant. He assumed that position and role. You know, if we want God to have a greater place in our life, we have to be willing to be a servant. listen, I'm not here to rule everything. I'm not here to run everything. I'm just here to be a servant. I'm here to play whatever role God has for me. I'm here to do whatever God asks me to do. I don't have to have the applause of men. I don't have to have the appreciation of men. I don't have to have the accolades of men and the affirmation of men. I- I'm just here just to do what God wants. And if I'm doing what God wants, that's enough. That's enough. A thought occurred to me last night. I don't even remember the context in which it occurred to me. But I was meditating on Scripture and on on, on the Word of God. And You know, we ask for the will of God. And I wonder how many times we're asking for the will of God because we believe it'll work out. Not because it's what God wants. I wonder if we knew that the will of God wasn't going to work out all so good for us if we'd still ask for it. I think we'd probably ask God for His will because we know, Brother Fred, His will is what's best for us. And it's a shortcut. It's, it's code word. It's, it's easy When we don't know what we need, we just say, Lord, give me Your will in, in my life. And we kind of know if we've asked for that, we've asked for the absolute best. I wonder if the will of God wasn't what's best for us, but was what was best for God, if we'd still ask for it. Being a servant. Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. I just want to do what you want. And Lord, if you're happy, that makes me happy. Amen. Sometimes I think we live in a realm of saying, what makes us happy is what makes God happy, because He loves us so much. Well, there may be some truth to that, but I think the better frame of mind is to say, whatever makes the Lord happy That'll make me happy. Servant. Servant. So I see the requirements. And then I want you to notice the rewards. And I don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to sort of mention these to you. Look down at verse number 9. The Bible says, They said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it, in the tent door which was behind him. Let me say that for those that welcome God into their life in a greater way, they experience a few things. One, promises are delivered. You know, there's a lot of times I think that we 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 fail the promises of God. Some of God's promises are unconditional. Praise His holy name. But some of God's promises are conditional. And you know, I think sometimes when, when we're not willing to go the whole way with God... And this doesn't, I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm not talking about who we are in Christ. I'm not talking about the security of our, uh, of our relationship with Him. But I'm just talking about things that God wants to bring to fruition in our lives. I think there's things we give up on. I think there's sometimes that God is working on something, doing something in our life. And if we're not willing to let Him have our home and our heart and our life and let Him have everything of us, there's things He just simply cannot accomplish because He's got to have all of us to do it. Because, hey, they would have, I wonder what would have happened if Abraham hadn't let Him in wasn't until after the meal that God said, Oh, by the way, Abraham, I'm here to let you know you're getting ready to have a boy. Get ready to have a baby. Sarah's pregnant? No, but she's going to be. You're getting ready. I'll visit you this time, next year. And you'll have a child. The promises of God are delivered. Not only are promises delivered, but look down at verse number 11. The Bible says now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah... After the manner of women, she was barren, she was past bearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Now, this is the last time God talks directly to Sarah. You know what I find fascinating here is how God responds. I'll tell you how I would have probably responded if she had laughed at me. Lightning, hail, fire, brimstone. Laugh at me. At the very least, I would have said, All right, well, now you ain't going to have a child. Man, but you know what we find here? When God's in the house, patience is displayed. Patience is displayed. I think some people live a heartbeat away from chastening all the time. You know, when you live your life asking yourself, how much can I get away with? You live your life one heartbeat away from the chastening of God at all times. You're living up right against the fence row of what God has to punish you for. But you know, when you let God in the house and say, Lord, I just want you to have all of me, I think there's a large, vast field of patience and mercy and long sufferingness between your missteps and the sure judgment of God. I'm not talking about earning God's favor. I'm just talking about living far enough away from questionable things that God can deal patiently with you, as opposed to watching you fall off the precipice into destruction if you take a step the wrong direction. Sarah, if it had been me, man, I'd have struck her dead. But God is patient. You know, God is. God doesn't even really rebuke her. I mean, God says, Sarah, why'd you laugh? And then Sarah, you know, she, she lies. She said, I, I, I was coughing. I didn't... God says, no, you laughed. I know you laughed. But you know what? Isaac was still born. Sarah continued on living. Patience is displayed. I, I don't have time to read it all. But if you were to read through the remainder of this chapter, you'd find a, a couple more things. Verse number 16 The Bible says the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? You know, when we let God in the house, plans are disclosed. God, God looks at those two men with him and says, Am I going to hide from Abraham? How dare I? He just, he just fed us. Why would I, why would I not, not teach him the thing? You know, by the way, something interesting, John chapter number 15, you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Then he says this, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant, listen carefully, knoweth not what his master doeth. You know why that is? Because the servant ain't sitting at the table. He's standing over to the side. He can't hear. But he says, I have called you friends. For all things that the Father hath made known unto me have I made known unto you. The idea is this, the servant stands over to the side, but because he has served faithfully, the master says, says, why don't you come over here and get a seat at the table and we'll tell you about what our plans are. God looks at Abraham and says, He has served us so faithfully. Why would we keep from him? And By the way, he goes on to say, I know Abraham will teach his children. I know he will command his family well. I know he will do righteously. In other words, his service had earned him the confidence of God. And so God says, I'm going to let Abraham know what I'm doing. You know know how you find the will of God for your life? Invite God into your house. Fellowship with Him. Commune with Him. Give everybody your life to Him. And when the time comes that the will of God needs to be known, it will be abundantly clear. Plans are disclosed. And then something interesting happened. God looks at, and I won't take the time to read it, because we don't have the time, but God looks at Abraham and says, I'm going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's bothered by that because he got family down in Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, it's (laughs) well, he starts to pray. He starts to pray. He says, Lord, if there be 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, please, please don't destroy it. You wouldn't destroy it if there was 50 righteous people. God says, you're right, I will not If there's 50, I won't destroy it. And here's what Abraham is, is expecting. Abraham is expecting, there's Sodom, there, there's, there's the well-watered plains of Jordan. He's expecting for, for God to say, all right, Abraham, I won't. Turn and walk towards Jordan. That's not what happens. Abraham hadn't asked for enough. So God says, alright Abraham, if there's 50 righteous people, I won't destroy Sodom anymore. Abraham says, oh, okay good. God turns and heads towards Sodom. Abraham knows, uh oh. I shouldn't ask for that many. He chases God down and says, now, 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 no, wait a minute. Let's, let's talk about this thing. Lord, I know I said 50, but really your righteousness is, 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 is boundless and, and you're no respecter of persons. If there's 40 people, 40 people. God says, you're right, Abraham. If there's 40 people, I won't destroy it. And he turns and he starts to walk towards Sodom and Gomorrah. On and on this exchange takes place. And you know what Abraham does? He just keeps praying. And he keeps praying. Can I remind you of something? By the way, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. The one righteous man in Sodom was not. He was rescued. Did you know God answered affirmatively every prayer that Abraham prayed in this chapter? Every single one. Don't, if there's 50, God says yes. If there's 40, God says yes. If there's 30, God says yes. Every prayer Abraham prayed, he got an answer to. And the answer was always yes. And guess what? God knew what Abraham wanted. Abraham didn't care about anybody in Sodom and Gomorrah. He only cared about Lot, his nephew. So you know what happened? Abraham didn't pray well enough. If he had said, Lord, if there's just one righteous person, will you spare it? And I think God would have said yes, and Sodom and Gomorrah would still be around today. But Abraham didn't know to pray that. So he prays and he says if there's ten people that are righteous. Well, there weren't ten people. There was more than ten people in Lot's family, but they weren't righteous. So you know what God does? God destroys Sodom, but He answers what Abraham's getting at. He doesn't answer what he's praying for, but He does answer what He's praying about. He's praying about Lot, even though He doesn't want to say it. So God, He destroys Sodom. But he delivers lot. He answered a prayer that Abraham never even prayed correctly. You know, the Bible says the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us when we know not what we ought to pray. let me give you this and I'm done. When God's in the house, guess what? Prayers are dynamic. They're effective. They're powerful. And sometimes when they're lacking, sometimes when they're not all that they ought to be, guess what? God's in the house. He just fixes that prayer to how it ought to be. And goes ahead and answers it in a way. Because cause guess what? Uh, the Spirit, it's uh, He that maketh intercession for us, knoweth the mind of the Spirit. He knows. There's no miscommunication within the Godhead. The Spirit of God dwells in us. We pray. We ask God for something. We may not ask it in the right way, but guess what? The one that we're praying to already knows what the Spirit knows, and the Spirit already knows what we know, because the Spirit is dwelling inside of us. I'm saying this. We get God in the house, there's great benefit. And great blessing to it. The greatest thing that could happen to you this holiday season is to say, Lord, take up residence in my life. Take every bit of me and let me have every bit of your influence, your presence, your blessing, your power in my life. Let me do not my will, Lord, but thy will for your glory.